0: Welcome.
1: Benvenuti. Hola.
0: Bienvenido. Welcome to the A Fire podcast now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson.
1: Over the last several years, there has been so much change in real estate, uh, and I might argue that the change has just begun. What happens next? How should investors prepare for a future that just happened? Today, I am thrilled to speak with Drew Polig. He's the author of Rethinking Real Estate, a roadmap to technology's impact on the world's largest asset class he advises some of the world's largest investors and is the co-chair of the Urban Land Institute's tech and innovation council thank you dror for joining me on the afire podcast my pleasure gunner great to be here why don't we just kind of get right into it and 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 look at kind of the discussion that seems to be all around even though people have very little data in in a covid world everyone's talking about the death of office or at least a, a, a big change in office in terms of office demand Do you think that's a thing? Do you think, for example, that co-working is something that will go away, or do you see it um, staying or maybe even getting stronger as we move through this uh, hard time and into the times where we don't have COVID?
2: So I definitely think it is a thing uh, to break up your questions to I mean, you, you basically asked a few different questions. So I think for co-working specifically, it is definitely here to stay, but it was never the main story, I think, the bigger story uh, that we've already seen starting to unfold over the last few years was that more and more companies, uh, and more and more large companies, are increasingly, increasingly looking for more flexibility, for more services, uh, and more broadly, for a whole different way to consume space rather than just signing large leases in a handful of locations and then taking care of everything else on their own.
1: Uh, I also agree with you that we are only at the beginning. Well, you talked a lot about space as service, so moving uh, perhaps not just an office, but in other asset classes as well. Um, are there any exceptions to that model? Or are all real estate companies becoming some sort of operating company in addition to, to holding a, a hard asset?
2: So I don't think there are any exceptions. I think that even the places where investors are currently running away to uh, for safety and cover, uh, namely industrial real estate, These dynamics are even starting to appear there. So, you know, there's some companies, for example, there's one called Flex, F-L-E-X-E, that is kind of like a WeWork for industrial space uh, that allows you as a smaller customer to have a smaller commitment, to have everything fitted out for you and to kind of plug and play into different spaces uh, all over the world. Uh, We're seeing that partly in industrial, even in the fragmentation into smaller and more specialized categories, such as cold storage, And others that, again, require much more operation, much more uh, adaptation of the asset itself to a very specific type of customer uh, and and not to anyone else. And yeah, and I think it doesn't mean that every company will have to become, you know, a branded operator. Not every landlord will be uh, what WeWork is or what WeWork tried to be. But there will be a realignment where landlords will have, landlords and the investors behind them will have to decide who they want to be when they grow up. So a bit like what we saw in the hotel world, uh, you know, 30 years ago or so, where different companies split into uh, C-corps, you know, franchisors that, uh, that own the brand, that have the customer relationship, uh, that usually don't own property, don't develop property. Uh, Try to even not sign leases for a property, and then different entities, uh, which are mostly publicly traded real estate investment trusts that that only deal with the actual assets and that have made an explicit decision not to deal with any consumer-facing uh, activities, and, and a lot of other entities in between, you know, all sorts of hotel management firms and other service providers, and some firms that specialize only in signing sandwich leases and in financing uh, these type of deals. and you know and th- and they figured it out they basically figured out how to develop finance and operate an asset that requires a lot of flexibility and that requires uh, that relies on a very limited commitment from its customers sometimes just for one night uh, and it worked there and i think we're we're going to see more and more of this dynamic in the world of office and multifamily uh, and in parts of the industrial market as well
1: it, it sounds to me when, when you talk about this that we're, we're really moving to an intensive operator model, not unlike, say, I guess, hotels, uh, where we're dealing with a day-long uh, commitment from a potential tenant that can change at any point, uh, where we're having to incur quite a lot of costs in terms of managing all these extra services. Um, this, this seems to me to change... To fundamentally change what our business model is and to change what our risks and potential rewards are. Is that true?
2: It is true. So I think broadly speaking, assets are becoming much more dependent on their operators, you know, on the flag that they fly, on the network that they fit into, on the business model through which they are sold and monetized. Uh, So that notion of you know owning something and uh, being a relatively passive investor in real estate is becoming more and more uh, difficult. Again, it doesn't mean that every pension fund now has to uh, has to have its own brand, but it means that they probably have to partner with someone uh, who is not just a landlord, and or possibly that the landlord and developer themselves need to partner with a third entity and share some of their uh, revenue with them, and uh, through that, basically, de-risk the building. So, I mean. That that risk that you describe is definitely here, and it's been apparent for a while. But I think the real estate industry has been all too eager to ignore it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or to ascribe it to all sorts of sideshows. You know, the the most famous example is WeWork. So, you know, a year or two or three ago, most landlords would look at WeWork and say, "Okay, oh, their model is so risky. You know, the clients uh, make such short commitments, etc." And it's true that WeWork's model was risky, but it actually reflected a bigger change, like a, a, a heightened risk in the office market as a whole. I mean, WeWork was just trying to absorb it and subsidize it uh, to, to the benefit of many landlords <laughs> right. with the help of, of you know, venture capital investors. But the risk wasn't invented by WeWork, the fact that companies are, are not willing to sign longer leases the fact that they want more services, the fact that they expect a building that focuses on their specific needs and aspirations and whatever values they care about rather than uh, something that is more uh, kind of generic, uh, is it, just a change in the in the nature of the employment market itself. And uh, if anything, brands like WeWork done well help de risk those assets. Just like Marriott yeah. doesn't cause people to stay for a night. It it helps you get more people the next night once the <laughs> once
1: those that stay there tonight <laughs> left. So you're you're envisioning a, a potential future where uh, a WeWork or a convene or other brand becomes the Hilton, the Marriott, the Sheraton and a flag that we put on a hotel?
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and again, to be clear, it doesn't mean that it would be one of those companies. I hope right. it would be. I mean, they're already around, but I think there's room for many more. And, and more broadly, that the, the hotel, sorry, the office product will be segmented in a way that is a little more similar to the hotel world. So, mm-hmm. you know, not just to, into two or three categories based on price, but into something a little finer uh, that focuses on specific groups of
1: people. So, you know, someone only only works in a Ritz uh, style office versus uh, the lower grade offices whatever they might be the different brands below that
2: yeah but not just high or low but also like we're starting to see you know even in the co-working world co-working for lawyers co-working for creators co-working for women co-working for minorities co-working mm. for all sorts of smaller segments that have specific needs, you know, beyond yeah. just the brand that appeals to them. You know, they need access to a specific type of equipment. Mm-hmm. They work in a certain way. They prefer certain types of locations, um, and, and again, and also they want to be next to certain types of people themselves. You know, that 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 level of uh, of curation. Uh, it is very familiar to real estate people who deal with uh, with retail, for example. You A know, shopping mall developer has to think about how each individual tenant fits with the other and who needs to be next to whom. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to get to that level of granularity now in office as well, and, and even in multifamily.
1: So, Dora, this sounds like a conversation you and I could have had you know, 18 months ago before COVID happened. But it sounds like very little has changed in terms of the ongoing trends. Am I getting this wrong is are there things that aren't just kind of delayed or accelerated by covid is there anything that that has fundamentally changed because of covid
2: So I mean it it's hard to say that one that any of these things weren't here before but we're definitely at an inflection point because we're starting to get critical mass in terms of adoption of remote work uh, and and more importantly, we, we kind of had a hard break with the lockdowns and COVID and it's forcing companies to really reassess. So the inertia that kind of could have carried us for another five or 10 or even 20 years uh, working mostly in the old ways has now disappeared. And companies are basically starting from zero. They're starting from, hey, we're not at the office at all. <laughs> what do we actually need now? And what do our employees need? And even employers are still... At what I would call the first stage of grief. You know, they haven't really fully comprehended or understood what their employees uh would want from them. Uh, so you know, the landlords are in denial, but even the the big employers who are just starting to say, yeah, okay, you know, so we'll just go to the office for four days a week or three days a week. I think a lot of that is just the first stage of uh of an even more dramatic shift, at least for, for a for significant chunk of the market, obviously not for all offices and not for all companies and not for all people within most companies, but I think for a significant enough chunk to uh, to make a very big difference, especially in an industry that is uh, valued to reflect the level of stability that probably uh, is not there anymore.
1: And that certainly seems to have some implications from a capital standpoint and from a debt perspective. Do you see any signs that uh, banks or debt providers are starting to look at this new model and maybe move towards it. It seems like they've been an obstacle to a lot of these models being implemented over the last few years. What are you seeing?
2: Yeah, so from the capital perspective, I think there's kind of like a, a two-pronged approach. I think traditional conservative lenders, you know, so bank lenders, uh, obviously, they they were against anything that is not plain vanilla and right. hasn't been done a hundred times before. Uh, But even there, they're quite pragmatic. And I think COVID helped them more than anyone else to, you know, at the end of the day, they want to lend money and that's their business. And if there's no a product to move, they're going to move whatever's out there. So it's no longer a theoretical question of a landlord two years ago going to a bank and saying, hey, you know, we're thinking of converting 20% of this building to flexible use. Is that okay or not? Now the landlord is going to them and saying, hey, 30% of the building is empty we're going to use 30% of it in a flexible manner to generate revenue. And the bank would say, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. do what you can. Yeah, And I think for, from the other side of capital markets, the banks themselves are now facing much more competition because we see this abundance of capital from private equity firms uh, and even more exotic structures that are basically offering debt and equity uh, in a way that's never been seen before, obviously across all asset classes, but within real estate as well so it's no longer just about the bank agreeing or not you know people have alternative ways to finance their buildings
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, all the way from you know crowdfunding and, and these type of small things and and over to the largest pension funds in the world and sovereign wealth funds who have shown a willingness even before covid to partner directly with all sorts of new types of operators you know co-working co-living uh, again cold storage flexible storage They've already shown that they're actually willing to go to skip even the traditional landlords that maybe are more conservative, and go directly to these new types of operators in search right. of, of yield mm-hmm. and uh, money. In general, is much more pragmatic than you know a real estate firm that is that knows how to do one thing and doesn't want to try anything else. You know, right. An institutional investor at the end of the day, if it can make money. I'll put my money there.
1: Uh, we'll talk about uh, other asset classes like residential in a moment, but uh, but I wanted to ask at least one or two more questions uh, in this area. Uh, do you think office um, or office properties that are in the center cities of the CBDs will continue to be a core investment in the future? Or is that, I mean, over half of the, 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 the assets that are owned by the institutional investors that are part of AFIRE are in office. Do you think that will shift?
2: I think they will continue to be a core investment. I think that the market will be more polarized for office, the same as the market for hotels and and retail, where there's no longer there will no longer be a solid, boring middle. It will be more about, you know, the best will do better than ever and will extract more value out of every square foot than ever before. And anyone who aims for just like something boring and safe is probably gonna fail completely. And then there'll be kind of like a mm-hmm. A value segment on the other side of like, you know, buildings that are only catered to people who are, uh, you know, that basically compete on margin with each other. So they might Mm -hmm. have a certain level of stability, but very, very, very low uh, yields. But I think there will be things to invest in. And because of the abundance of capital and because of uh, the reduction of some of the investable assets, the, the good stuff will actually be maybe more competitive than ever. And, you know, cap rates will be even more compressed than they have been uh which is kind of the saving grace of of the office world that absolutely you know we we have a macro environment that still makes real estate very attractive and that the good assets more attractive than ever uh so so i think we'll continue to see that but again the best assets will, will depend on some sort of operational model that is more intensive than what we have today mm-hmm. and we're seeing some of the biggest players you know heinz equity office uh, elsewhere in the world, other other large landlords as well, starting to launch their own branded space, flexible space. And at the same time, also experimenting with all sorts of partnerships, still in a very modest, uh, to a very modest extent, but at least there's, they're starting to try. And then there's a lot of other landlords in the middle who just don't have the capacity to, to even try to build these type of businesses.
1: It sounds to me like the office owner, operator, investor, in the next few years is really going to have to be on their game. So let's take a break here. Uh, We'll start this discussion up again in part two. And in that second episode of this podcast, uh, we'll discuss a bit about how the 19th century has lessons for us in the 21st.
0: Please visit afire.org slash podcast.